Bearers of snuff box, wavers of feathered fans, and wearers of highly polished Hessian boots, welcome to another episode of All Things Georgette. I am your consummate hostess, the Countess of Interlaken, Marsha, and I'm joined by a world class lady in waiting, Lady Sandy. Or wait, I guess you're not a lady if you're a lady in waiting. <laughs> Today, definitely a lady. Definitely a lady. Lady of the night? Um, no. Today, our foray, foray into the world of Georgette takes us deep into our inner souls, and we'll discuss what Georgette Hire's Regency romance novels mean to us individually on a highly personal level. So grab some ratafia and join us as we climb aboard our coach and four, briskly pulled by two bang-up pairs of high-stepping-matched bays along a lightly-traveled road from Barkhamstead, Babacombe, and Bath, and journey with us into the dark labyrinth of our own inner psyches. <laughs> so, Lady Sandy, what say, I- what say you about this subject? Um, well, I mean, you started with whether I was a lady or a lady of the night or any of those things. And I think that's part of, uh, that's part of the fun of Georgette and, um, is like figuring out who, who you are in which, in which, where do you find yourself in those books? And, um, you know, I've been, I think I read my first Georgette when I was a teenager. Um, and, uh, at a time when you're definitely trying to figure out which which thing you're going to be, um, and I was, as you know, uh, being a, a blood relative of mine, um, I, I was always um, trying on new new personalities every day with a with a new outfit. Oh, yes, and- Andy would go to school in a different costume every day. My favorite was the geisha girl. <laughs> yes, yeah. really good one. Totally would be considered cultural appropriation at this date and, and time, but I, I didn't know that at the time, and and um, I just loved that. it. And it we had a full on. We were, I, I believe I believe it did have fried boots with it, so that was a little bit of a of an additive to the to the geisha outfit. Very but cool. very cool. Um, at any rate, um, and so I and I think a part of that is is plumbing your character as well, and looking looking at the books and and. Um, and having a, an immediate connection with something or, or even just saying, oh, I should be more like that. Or I, wouldn't it be nice to be more like that person? And, um, and I think for us, because we, you know, we had a big family of, of four sisters and we, um, and we had a, a father who was somewhat prominent in his field and, and a house full of, of guests and weekends in the country and, and a country house and a lot of things like that that were somewhat similar. Oh, in some we don't forget the coach in four. Yeah, we did not have the coach in four. We did, well, we, we did have the Buick um, and <laughs> with a, a sliding around back seat. Um, oh, but um, but um, 
so there were some some ways that we could definitely um, identify, and I think that um, I I I often I felt like different people at different times. I mean, I think I, I think of Cecilia in um, in the Grand Sophie and that wonderful scene where they're all at dinner and everybody's mad at each other, and um, and the father comes in who's this ne'er-do-well that is always at his club and is spending all the family's money and is an incredible bon vivant and ignores all of the hostile looks across the table and everything else. And, um, you know, and, and Cecilia is sometimes, you know, icy cold or, or being, you know, bursting into tears and running out of the room. And, um, and I certainly could identify with her sometimes. I also, um, would, uh, probably at, at some point w- would have liked to have identified more with somebody like um, even the, the quiet Hester in, uh, in Sprig Muslin, who's the, who's the, the sort of put upon daughter that um, uh, has these, this, you know, bullying um, older siblings and, and father and all the rest of it who are always, you know, think she's just a dab of, of a girl or something. And, and, and she, I mean, not, not that I identified with those parts necessarily, but more with the, with the, the wonderful inner life that she has mm-hmm. that she's, um, and that she, she looks out um, onto the family and, and she's able to have, to have, to give herself distance with her own sense of humor about, um, about sort of seeing the, the people in her family as, as characters and caricatures um, this is something I get from D- Dickens a great deal too. Is seeing is is being able to step back, and when people could be driving you crazy, you could actually step back and 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 imagine them in a in a Dickens book or in a George at Hire book, and it immediately gives you a, a a sense a smile and a sense of like oh this is this is life this is this is what makes things um, can make things amusing if you look at it in the right way. And so, I mean, I think that that would be one of my great gifts from Georgette. I love, I love that last insight, Sandy, because it, it does, I mean, we did grow up in, in certain circumstances and um, a person that we have distance on that we can perhaps have a little chuckle about uh, we might deem a character, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, she's such a character. Mm-hmm. And, um, and characters are, um, in and of themselves, uh, by default at a, at a distance. And you're talking about Hester's ability to have distance. Poor Hester. All she wants is what she looks forward to is not being married and being able to live alone by herself and do what she wants when she wants and have her own little, what are those houses called that they stuck the, the, oh, the dower, the dowager's house, or the dower yeah, house. The dower house, yeah, the dower house. She she just wanted to live in a little dower house. Maybe have a maid servant or a cook, someone to help her with the day to day. But um, that was the extent of her of of her ambition. And in a way, you almost feel sorry for Hester. I mean, she is madly in love with um, I forget the gentleman's name in Sprig Mus- Muslin. Gareth, I think. Gareth. He is a charmer. There's no doubt about it. And you are happy that they find each other. Um, while he's recuperating, um, to refer to our last episode, when we were talking about this, but um, but he, um, she, yeah, so she's so she's uh, she has a distance on her relatives, and that allows her to have humor about them. And I would say humor 
to me is probably the reason I keep coming back to Georgette again and again. And like you, I think I picked my first one up when I was about 15, 16. And it was was the urging of my grandmother and my sister. And uh, no one was in, I mean, I certainly knew I was supposed to read great books at the time, but I was not one of those teenagers huddled in the corner reading um, War and Peace and making my way through the Brothers Karen Mathsoff. I got there in college, but not not as a kid. As a kid, I really read for pleasure. But I think learning to read for pleasure is is a great gift. Um, yeah. Anyway, and so so she was firmly in the reading for pleasure. But but it the reason I wanted to talk about this is that I really have found myself thinking about this because. For this past year during the pandemic, which has been such an odd time, mm-hmm. I would really say that these silly novels, I shouldn't call them silly because there's, we are, the whole argument for this podcast is that there's a lot more to them than that. But these, um, these novels, Light, got lighthearted. Me, lighthearted novels really got me through. They were a place to escape. There's no doubt about it for me. Um, and as I was slogging home from from work, or later on about to face another Zoom for work, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was delightful to have um, to do. And I enjoy them on Audible books because I'm such a fan of some of the readers, uh, the narrators who do such a wonderful job of. So it's somewhere between being. Um, told a story the way I was when I was a child. It was the comfort of having someone tell you a story. Um, the fun of revisiting characters. Like I, right now, I am re-listening to um, Frederica. And um, I'm at the part where Felix has just uh, been uh, swept away by the the air balloon yep. uh, ascension, the balloon ascension, which he's talked his uh, his uh, guardian into taking him, and he was and he's gotten himself into a, yet another spectacular scrape. And I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm like, oh goody, this is we're going to come up on the time when when uh, we are yet at yet another uh, inn or tavern uh, where mm-hmm. the action takes place, which we've talked about a lot as a, as a recurring theme. Like a lot of the action takes place in London or in Bath, and then at a remove. Uh, you travel somewhere with the main characters. So I'm about, I'm almost at that place, but I'm like, how ridiculous. I'm not reading this to find out what happens next. I'm reading this for a very different purpose. And it, it just puts me in mind. It's almost like not to be too serious about this and not to be, not to be, not to take this to ridiculous heights, but, but it's true. You, You can think about why do human beings like to be retold stories? I mean, I'm thinking about like people huddling around the fire and listening to the myth. (laughs) Make the same story over and over again. Yes. Yeah. And and I, but there's something about it that's so comforting. Yeah. I think um, um, one of the things that Lady Sharon often points out about, uh, about Georgette is um, how, how remarkable she is at, 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 creating a world that you can go into and uh through the through the description through the dialogue through the plot um all of those things intersect to create a very deep and complete feeling word 
world where you feel like, I mean, I think, I think game designers talk about this, you know, that they're trying to make something that you feel like you could go around every corner and every, and through every door and, and find more. And, and you, you know, what would be beyond all of those things and you have a sense of it. Um, and so, so I think that's one of the great things about Georgette that allows us to escape into a world because the world is so complete. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not Jean-Paul Sartre, no exit, right. Where you've just like got the, the sort of barest vision of, of humanity. Um, it's the, the absolute opposite of this. It's, it's filled with, you know, furbelows as she would say. Um, and so, so having that world is one of, one of the things that makes you want to reread her. If you are looking for someplace to go into as an escape. And for me, I would say it's also, it's also going into the past and going into this particular era. Um, I think probably it, it was one of the first books that I started reading that were um, were from a, a, a specific time period that was painted for me, and and I think I always um, I always find comfort in reading about the past, even if it's some dreadful book about you know World War II or something like that. It's it's already happened. It's past. Humanity got through it somehow. <laughs> and, yeah. and I know that, you know, it's like, for me, I feel very uncomfortable reading science fiction, uh, because I'm, it, it just, it, 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 it makes me feel like, uh, sort of paranoid about the future, you know, and, and, uh, they're also usually dystopian in some, some way too, but, um, and written as warnings in some way. So, but, but, so it's part of it, but, but, but reading something that is, is a past that I become more and more familiar with and can revisit and know that actually, especially in Georgette's case, that these places actually existed and you could visit them or whatever, um, is very comforting to me. So. Absolutely. I would, um, uh, totally agree with that. And there's some in Georgette's case, there's a safety to that world. You know that it's because it's light fiction, it's it's never really going to take you down any soul searching alleyway that will that will bring you into contact with something very dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it, so it is a reliable place to um to escape uh, a dark a dark present. And uh, but I would have to say in general I'm I am a huge fan of historical fiction. Not all historical fiction, but um, especially historical fiction that creates a very full world. And I and just to plug another book that I just finished uh, by Julie Oringer called The Invisible Bridge. My goodness, it a, a very different book, um, and and with a lot of darkness to it. Um, takes place uh, in the years leading up to and during World War II, but. It just was breathtaking in its ability to pull me into um, a previous world. And like you said, I know that all those horrible things happened, um, but it's safely in the past. Uh, and and there was just something so uh, fully realized about it. And I, I just, I, I disappeared into it. So it, it also served this function of escapism. With with the caveat that it, it definitely brought me into darker corners, which which historical fiction. I mean, I've also been reading a lot of slave narratives and things like that. Um, a book called Yellow Crocus, and 
um, yeah, there it's wonderful to be pulled into a story that brings you into contact with a fully fleshed version of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly that's part of the charm, but I will come back to the humor because for me, that is, it's priceless. Mm-hmm. You know, I never understood why comedy is so much more lightly held in sort of cultural esteem uh, than drama or tragedy or other genres. Um, it really should be held in greater esteem because it's far more difficult to achieve. I think so too. I was listening. Have you heard this wonderful, have you seen this wonderful new television show on Netflix um, by Martin Scorsese with Fran Lebowitz called Pretended to City? No. Mm-mm. Well, it's a treat. Well, especially if you're a New Yorker, which full disclosure, the, <laughs> the ladies are originally New Yorkers. Um, but New York and Bockhamsted. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> Fran Lebowitz, we got to keep the we got to keep the aura alive, Sandy. We got to yeah, we, we got to get we yeah we got to keep the magic going. That well, that's another thing. I mean, I know we're going off on a tangent, but I another thing to get back to the story about reading Georgette um, and growing up with reading. Um, um, Edward Eager and uh, Elizabeth Enright, or not Elizabeth Enright, who am I thinking of uh, um, that wrote the amulet? And um, anyway, all of these, all of, I mean, you know, Winnie the Pooh and all, you know, I mean, I just saturated, our childhood was saturated in these books that take place in England. Oh, and Noel Streetfeld, the ballet shoes and all of those things. Also wonderfully evocative of, of, of time and place. And I feel like I know, I know um, England anyway, like the back of my hand, which is ridiculous because I think I've, I've spent like maybe two days of my entire life. Well, no, I, okay. More recently I I spent a little time there, but basically I've spent very little time at all. And I literally have spent two days probably of my entire life in London. So I know you have spent a lot more time. Um, But I, so I, I don't honestly know anything about England of today. And I don't know, I've never been to these places and yet, I have this full, rich sense of of this place, um, pretty much centered around the times that Georgette was writing, and then the sort of you know twenties, thirties, teens, twenties, thirties, forties, fifty into fifties a little bit, but of the other writers that I've I've read about, you know, um, and you know Agatha Christie and all these other people, so. I have this this like skewed sense of this of this place that actually exists that I don't honestly know anything about, um, and I and I think that's I have I, I carry this this um, little bit of England around in my head, which is um, it's kind of interesting. It's 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 a wonderful place for me. It's a secret garden, you know. It's a it's um, speaking it's of a, a British book, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, yeah. and uh, anyway, that's just a an aside there, but, um, but that, that's a very interesting aside. It made me forget what I was going to say about Fran Leibowitz. However. <laughs> but Fran Leibowitz is really good to talk about too. She and she's a New Yorker like us. <laughs> so dead on about this exact point that I was going to make that I, I now can't remember. However, now that you've introduced the subject, I think it's a very interesting point. Um, indeed, I feel we have been saturated in British literary culture. And speaking as a former English major, my own personal self, of course, trotted through everything from Chaucer and Milton to, um, you know, George Eliot, Dickens, Graham Greene, more, um, and, and, and as a child, 
C.S. Lewis, all the Narnia books, um, and of course, P.G. Woodhouse, um, George Eliot, uh, Virginia Woolf, Virginia Woolf, yada, yada. And even when my children, when I, I, I have lived in London for a couple of different um, times, which was such a privilege and a, a great adventure. Um, and I, and I loved, I, I loved so much about it. I, I had a little trouble with, um, let's say society. Um, I can't say that I got completely warm and cuddly with, 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 um, regular old folks, but, um, the, you know, that's where I felt my Americanness. like, Hey, how the hell are you? You know, how you doing? That's a cute doggy. What's its name? You know, <laughs> that didn't really fly. Um, I said that once to a woman about her dog, and she said, "Oh, um, he's very—he's terribly afraid of strangers. He doesn't like strangers talking to him." (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I get the hint. Okay, I'll just be on my way then, lady. But, but I, but I was going to say, even when I lived in Tokyo, my kids—I read them what I discovered: Enid Blyton, which Mm is what you know. So somehow. We wound up saturated. And I wonder, you know, that's very interesting if you think about it. Here we are, 21st century gals, but we're still somehow, for some reason, saturated in this colonial culture that that um, is somehow, I mean, look, it's a great, in, in many ways, this literature is great stuff. Like, who wouldn't want to read it? But that doesn't mean there's not great stuff coming out of Africa and great stuff coming out of Asia. And of course, you know, I love, Ishiguro. There's a lot of other kinds of writers that I love reading too. But mm-hmm. it is- well, Kazuo Ishiguro is really a. I I think of him as a Brit in the way that he writes. I mean, I mean, remains That's of the right. day. I mean, excuse right. me. <laughs> right, but yeah. Cool. But yeah, I think I, I I get the point, and I you know I was just thinking about the the sort of um, Eurocentric and specifically Anglocentric um, um, pressure in American society that is, is insidious in some way. I use that word just this morning. I was writing to our mutual father and on an email and he, he sent back to me and he said, Oh, just make sure to refer to this person that we had been talking about as Lupita. And I looked back at my email and my email had corrected the name Lupita to Lusitania. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it had autocorrected. Oh. It, somebody, somebody at Google or whoever had auto-corrected Lupita to Lusitania, like that. That was a more uh, a more reasonable name that I must have been reaching for, you know. So this, so that I I wrote back and I, I chuckled, but I said, well, this is a perfect example of the sort of Eurocentric and and Anglocentric um, viewpoint that we are that that we are are constantly being poked and prodded down that road, you know, even by Google, who was telling me that Lusitania is a more reasonable and normal name than Lupita. So anyway, an example of that. An example, an example, indeed. Um, But that doesn't stop us from saying, I think in this podcast, yes, multiculturalism all the way. So glad that the world is opening up and that we are hearing new voices and that, that we're going in that direction. That's what we need to be. Um, but we also, we don't want to leave some of the jewels behind. And this one is a, a thing that we think is a jewel, even though there's, there's Absolutely. flaws, but it's Absolutely. a, it's a fabulous jewel that shouldn't be, shouldn't be completely thrown out. 
No, and to your point, um, Sandy, th- th- that's well said. Um, just just to pull in another author that I deeply admire, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who wrote um, Americana, uh, mm-hmm. which fabulous novel, mm-hmm. which which you know from a very different perspective, but it articulates the invidiousness, the insidiousness, as you would put it, of colonial relationship um, in, in, in such uh, a complete way. And again, by pulling you into, by creating this full world, which documents um, the immigrant experience yeah. and, and, um, and the black white experience, like mm-hmm. uh, what that means in, in two different distinct cultures. It's so great. So that's another one I, Completely, and the male female experience too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read that. It's an amazing book. Yeah, amazing book. Yeah, A plus. Maybe we should do like you know, no, Georgia. That's the name of the podcast. (laughs) I'm not going to change. It's too late. This is our eighth episode. We can't. We can't stop with Georgette. Uh, (laughs) But but at some point we're going to come to um, a place where we need to branch out from Georgette. But Mm -hmm. but I think. I think what's important about her books, really, not to be too uh, dramatic about it, but for me personally, they have represented a a place of literary um, home, and and it's good to examine your home and to analyze it for cultural influence and undue um, sociological presence of colonial ghosts and so on and so forth. I think that's all relevant to the point, but there's, it's also relevant to the point that if that's my literature, that's my literature. That's the one that I, I can't change what I read when I was 16. That's already mm-hmm. done. Yeah. So that's my history. Mm-hmm. So the fact that here I am two years later at age 18, still reading George. <laughs> Yes, that I'm only 18. That's amazing, and, <laughs> and that I still love to read. It's so damn articulate. <laughs> it's really something, isn't it? Uh, only two years old, older, and yet decades have passed. It's it's quite. <laughs> no, uh, no, but seriously, it, it, it does say something about these books. Like my husband cannot believe that I will read read these books he finds that and listen i'm reading other stuff too like i said i just finished the invisible bridge which i absolutely love i am currently reading a book called rockonomics thank you very much mm-hmm. with um it looks at economics from the point of view of rock and roll mm-hmm. uh, so i you know, i do have uh and i'm sure i know that you're quite a reader as well and i know our, god oh, yeah. knows god knows our sisters are um <laughs> now, that, now that in their absence we can we can disclose a little secret about each of them. I'm gonna I'm you take Sharon, I'll take Laura. Okay, here is the secret about Laura that everyone listening to this must beware. If you are in her physical proximity and you have a novel she has not read and she wishes to read, hide it. <laughs> she is a classic, classic yeah. book dealer. Steal it. And you can be eating a piece of toast and you can be turning a page and take a drink of water. You look the other way. And when you go back, the novel is gone. Okay. And And one of the, one of the stories on to support that was, was when I, my, my other favorite author, when I was a teenager, I, 
I don't reread her as much as I used to, as I do the Georgettes, but uh, I loved, loved, loved Mary Stewart and her romantic suspense oh, novels. Oh, yes. Mostly the ones written in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And um, and I loved her her plucky heroines, you know, plucky, articulate, um, intelligent heroines. And, um, and I... Uh, and I loved the exotic locations um, and her sense of place and how that that was such a an, a, a, an actor a, a character in the in the books and we were um, there was a famous a famous in our family a trip with um, our mother and I myself being the youngest and Lady Laura being the oldest and uh, the two of us went with our mother for various reasons um, bombing around Europe and and my mother, I had never been to Europe at that point. And uh, we rented a car and were careening around. Well, I had gotten my hands um, at, at an old booksellers in Nîmes. I had gotten my hands on a Mary Stuart that was uh, my brother Michael, which takes place in um, in Crete, and then at, or no, not in Crete in. Um, that's the one that takes place in, in Delphi. And um, so, and I knew we were going to go to Delphi. So I was keeping it to read just when I got up there and I was reading it and, um, and I'm not a fast reader, but I was reading it and I was, and we were in the car and, and you know, getting there and we'd gotten there and we were there that night. We were going to go visit the, um, the, you know, um, Apollo's temple the next day. And I was, I, I was, had it set up in my bed to get in. We were all in the same hotel room and, and I go in to brush my teeth and I come back out and Laura has taken my book and she will not give it back. She will not give it back. And she says, she says, Oh, I'm such a fast reader. I'll get it all done tonight and I'll give it back to you tomorrow. And I was like, I don't want it tomorrow. I want to read it tonight. And I was looking forward to it. And she wouldn't give it back to me. She she kept it and and read it. And I didn't get to read it that night. So she can't. We have to feel for her. She has a problem. She okay. has a problem. She has, she has a, a reading problem. It's not her fault. <laughs> the woman has a problem. She's going to get herself into treatment. You know, it's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, that's that story. Re- re- and in fact, okay, we have to say at the same breath as we as we talk about Mary Stewart, who is really fun and another sort of analogous um, female novelist who wrote a ton of books that were very popular and she's very undersung like nobody talks mm-hmm. about her mm-hmm. um and recently i i was fortunate enough to go to provence in france and you said oh you should revisit what was the book um madam will you talk yeah madam will you talk madam will you talk and which I has like, a car chase that goes all around all of those places yeah oh it's mm-hmm. perfect it's perfect and it has you know all the drinks and all of the food you know right. it's, it's like perfect mm-hmm. um but it's also just unbelievably racist and you come across this stuff <laughs> just like you do with your jet and you're like what i mean to 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 us now it just feels like such a slap in the face like it does it does and, and also i think with with mary stewart it it's the the self-deprecation of the women in it about being women about being women and stupid you know, because I'm a woman, I'm the stupidest thing on the, on the earth. <laughs> well, it was yeah. in 1955, and I guess that's the way women, you know, women were applauded for talking about how stupid women were. That was kind of the cool way to be in 1955. Exactly. Exactly. 
and before. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like uh, it, it, you know Virginia Woolf in um, in her um, her book um, uh, A Room of One's Own, and she goes after Charlotte Bronte for a section in Jane Eyre when when the character Jane, AKA Charlotte Bronte is railing against the patriarchal society and saying, this is BS. And I'm not, I'm not, this is so unfair. And Virginia Woolf is saying, Oh, you know, this is, this is why Jane Austen is so superior to Charlotte Bronte is because she doesn't, she doesn't come out and rail about these things in such an unseemly way, you know? And it's like, hello, Virginia. Like, Virginia, I do not agree with you on this one at one all. <laughs> Rocks in your pockets, girl. You know, <laughs> open yourself, baby. And on that genteel note, uh, I am very sad to say that we are we have come to the end of our time um, discussing uh, what Georgette means to us. And uh, Lady Sandy, I thank you enormously uh, for being the sole guest in my drawing room this afternoon. Um, but it was, a good it was a good one. It was a good one. I enjoyed it immensely. So any any final thoughts for us? I don't think so. I think um, I think just that feeling of, of reading books to escape, but also reading books to um, to make yourself who you want to be and, and ponder the, the amusement of, of other human beings. Make your own literary DNA. How about that? Exactly. All right. We will see you next time here at All Things Georgette. Ta-ta for now. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.